Amen. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 16? For the sake of our guests as well, we're in a series um, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, what, what walking through this series does is it enables the Word of Christ to sharpen us, to strengthen us, to shape our understanding of the world and everything around it. And so we're walking through the words of Jesus Christ so that we may be able to be conformed to Him. And so that's why we're in Luke. That's why we're going to read this word. And I'm saying something to you now. This text this morning, if you will allow your heart to be opened to it, and that is an if, if you open your heart to this word this morning, it will reorient your heart. If you need an outline, if you'd be benefited by an outline, Randy's here to serve you with those. Um, This text will reorient your heart toward the world, toward your neighbors, the people who live right next to you, and they will reorient your priorities. So with that, I want to read with you Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Hear now God's word. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner had things, bad things, excuse me, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to him, send my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. As we consider these sharp words from Jesus this morning, let me remind us of the context again into which Jesus spoke these words. So, Luke chapter 16, Jesus, at the outset of the chapter, it says he's, he's teaching his disciples and he teaches them these things 
uh, because he wants them to know them. They're important for their understanding of the work of God in the world. However, it's not just the disciples that are there. Because as, as Jesus is speaking, the Pharisees who were mocking him previously in the previous chapter for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, those Pharisees are also present and they're responding to the words of Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 14 and 15 in this chapter that once Jesus got through talking about the use of money, and he talked about the use of money in such a way as to say, here's what we do with the resources that we've been given that we, that we store up for ourselves treasure in heaven by using the resources that God's given to us to bless other people, to contribute to the work of the kingdom of God. That if we hoard money for ourselves, that's not, that's not an indication of a heart that's inclined toward God or other people, but rather we use money the resources that we have for the kingdom of God and his purposes. And as they heard that, remember, we talked about this. How did they respond? They sneered at him. They ridiculed him because they loved money. Jesus goes on to talk about no one can serve two masters. Jesus is speaking words of great love. And even in this parable, that has razor sharp words. He is speaking words of love to tell us the truth about heaven and about hell, about the reality of what comes to all people. And so at times, you know, sometimes Jesus strongly rebukes the Pharisees. And this, I believe, is aimed directly at them because they were rich and they loved money and they were just like this rich man walking by the people in need, stroking their own egos and their own selves. He was talking to the Pharisees, but he did it because he was trying to break through their hard exterior. They were hardened. They had hardened their hearts. They mocked Jesus, the Christ, when he spoke. He's trying to bust through. And so as we hear these words this morning, I believe Jesus is also seeking to penetrate into our hearts. We may say, hey, we're fine. We're, we're good to go. Well, that may be true, but that may not be true. And I believe the Lord, through the preaching of his word this morning, wants to draw us into himself. And so as we walk through this, I pray that your heart and my heart may be open to the work that he wants to do in us today. This parable will reorient your heart, your treasure, your perspective on your neighbors, how we love people. It will if we let God do that. So let's begin. The parable begins, as you know, by contrasting two men. So there was a rich man, and the description of this rich man is that he dressed in purple. Purple and linen, they were unusually expensive. So, so this guy is walking around in pure luxury day in and day out, not only by his clothing, but by his feasts. If you were on the social list of that day, you wanted a ticket to this guy's party because when he threw feasts, they were sumptuous. In fact, it says he lived sumptuously every day. You wanted to get in there. You wanted to eat with this guy. He was dressed in the best of clothing. 
Armani, Gucci, Polo, Ralph Lauren. He had it. He was walking in it. He enjoyed it. The contrast couldn't be more apparent. So while he is clothed in purple and in fine linen, someone else was clothed in something else. He was clothed in sores that were open and weeping. And the inference in the text is that after the dogs had eaten the crumbs from the rich man's table, they came over to lick his wounds. This man had no friends. This man didn't have medical care. This man, in the world's eyes, was abandoned. But you know something interesting about this parable in particular is that of all the parables that Jesus told in all of the Gospels, he never names personally any of the individuals. But this time, he names this one. His name is Lazarus, as you know. And it's interesting what the name of Lazarus means. It means God has helped. God has helped. The only time he ever names someone and he names this man, God has helped. What is, what is he saying here? He's saying here, dear friends, at the beginning of this parable, don't walk by your own understanding. Don't walk by what you see because what you see may be, oh, that guy, God has abandoned him. No, in fact, his name was Lazarus. God has helped. So this contrast couldn't be more opposite. They're one in lavish luxury, one with no friends and open sores. The only friends that this man has are the dogs that come by. This is a parable, as you see then on your outline for those who have it, this is a parable of four truths. So we're going to work our way through the parable looking at these four truths. The first first truth that we discover in this parable is everyone is mortal, uh, but eternal. Everyone is mortal, but eternal. Both the rich man and Lazarus, they both die. Lazarus goes, as you know, to heaven and the rich man to hell. See, we all come face to face with this reality, the reality of our own mortality. You know, you can take the most regimented exercise program. You can eat the best possible foods in the world for your whole life long. And you know what comes? It is appointed unto man to die. Our own mortality is ever before us. And this this parable reminds us of the certainty of what's coming. You've heard the phrase, there are only two things in life that are certain. What are they? Yes, death and taxes. Well, I would imagine that somebody in the world has escaped taxes by this time. They've, they've marooned themselves on some island. So, so probably it's true that someone has escaped taxes. But what is not true are the stats on death. It's, it's 100% certain. It's going to happen. So why, why do you and I at times, why does our culture at times act as if this isn't coming and not Think about it. So Jesus is confronting us and confronting these Pharisees with the reality that everyone is is mortal, but everyone is 
eternal. Uh, Truth number two. There are only two eternal destinies. You cannot choose uh, nirvana or some of... uh, There's two places we go upon death. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. Let's look at verse 23 and 24 once again. This poor man... I'm going to start at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, another term for hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. So Lazarus is in heaven, this rich man in hell by himself in misery. He didn't think that he'd be there. He didn't think that. In fact, just how he talks to Abraham is indicative of why he thought he wouldn't be there. See, hell is going to be occupied by people who didn't think they were going to be there. He says, he cries out, Father Abraham. What, what is he saying by addressing Abraham in that way? He says, Father Abraham, I, I'm a Jewish person. I should not be here. There's been some kind of mistake. Father Abraham, what, what's going on here? Send me some help. There's been a mistake. See, his Jewishness alone did not save him. Jesus said to the Jews, Hey, look, the axe is at the root, ready to chop down any tree that doesn't bear the fruit of righteousness. You know this to be true. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian in any way. Walking in and and even singing songs that are good doesn't make you part of the family of God. What puts you and I in the family of God is one thing. Repentance of our sins and faith in Jesus Christ alone to save us from those sins and to forgive us. And he, being in Hades, thought that there was some mistake. We don't know, but maybe he was a a religious man. Maybe he paid a, a great wage to the synagogue to help them upkeep the mission of the synagogue. Maybe he did all the religious trappings of religiosity. And now he's here in hell. He's saying, Father Abraham, I'm a Jew. Get me out of here. There's some mistake. Send me some aid. See, this parable, by the way, is not some way of suggesting that all the poor automatically go to hell, uh, excuse me, go to heaven and the rich uh, go to hell, the wealthy. That, that's not true. Because we just need to read the Bible to know that. Even look at the life of Abraham himself. God blessed him significantly, materially. So that's not the point. There's not this automatic, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. But what does the rich man's use of his money tell us? The, the rich man's love of money and his self-indulgence indicated that his hope was not in God. He had neglected the word of salvation and his money at the end of his life, his money failed him. 
It didn't serve him. It left him without hope. He's asking Lazarus to come to dip his finger because he's in torment to give him some hope. And he's without hope. He had a complete disregard for the word of salvation. He wasn't born again. And it was evident by the way he used his money. We, we heard this in the book of 1 John. It says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? God is very clear. If we close our heart, if we walk by and, and we don't want to deal with anyone who's in need, you know what that says about our heart? It says that, that God's love doesn't abide in it. This man thought he was fine. His lack of love for his fellow man indicated his lack of love for God. He was callous, selfish, unconcerned. All he was looking to do was pad his own place with his own things for his own enjoyment. He walked by Lazarus all the time. He had turned away from the word of salvation. And now he was in hell. And what is hell but God's expression of holy wrath against sin and against all who reject God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a real place, friends. Some people say, oh, this is just allegory. That's not a real place. It's just, it's just a story to get our attention. It is a story to get our attention, and it's based in reality. Hell is real. There's no nirvana. There's no reincarnation. There's no middle place. There's no purgatory where you stay until your sins are paid for, and then you make your way on to heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's either heaven or it's hell. And this guy had a hard reality because he didn't think that he belonged. He's calling out to Father Abraham. See, Jesus came for this man. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This man had rejected him. He came as a ransom that we might be rescued. And he said, no, my money is my rescue. And hell is real. And it is the destiny for everyone who rejects the salvation that Jesus Christ offer. Friends, these are not my opinions. This is what the Word of God says. And you and I, we need to think about this now. We need to think about it now in our lives, for ourselves. From time to time in pastoral ministry, I, I have the privilege of walking with people through death. I remember being at the side of a, a dear saint of God who who literally took her last breath in the hospital. And I was confronted as a young pastor with the reality that she was just there. And now she's not. And see, we don't like thinking about this, but we have to think about it. And Jesus has preserved these words for us this morning that we might think about it first for our own hearts. That we might evaluate our lives in light of the truth that's held forth here. Because your eternal destiny 
dear friends, is at stake. I don't care if you've grown up in the church. Your eternal destiny is at stake. Think about it, friends. Consider it this morning as you hear the word of the Lord, which brings us to the third reality we see in this passage. Three, after you perish, there is no turning back. The reality is once you die, there is no opportunity to respond to Christ. That's why responding to Jesus Christ and His offer of salvation is for today. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next year, not next decade. Today is the day of salvation for all who will believe. Look at verse 25 and 26. Notice how Abraham responds to this rich man's plea for help. He said, but Abraham said, verse 25, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may be able to cross from there to us. He's saying, after you perish, there is no turning back. After you die, there's not some second chance clause that God writes in here. No, we have one life. And the opportunity is before us. The gulf, to use Jesus' words, the gulf is fixed. The way is shut. No one can cross from heaven to hell or vice versa. Once this life is over, you don't have another opportunity. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this parable? He is inviting those hardened Pharisees to life. He's saying, you guys, you're missing the point. You love money and money is going to fail you. The day is going to come when you Religious leaders, if you don't repent of your sins, you will be like this rich man. And you'll be crying out, Father Abraham, what's going on? And it will be too late. In the same way, Jesus, through his word this morning, calls out to you. He calls out to you, and says to you, after you perish, there's no turning back. So are you sure this morning of your repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know that if this were appointed to be your last day, do you know where you'd head? My brother, on March 3rd, 1982, was just driving home from college. That's all he was doing. He didn't know that was the day that it was appointed for him to go to be with the Lord. He just got in the car and started driving. Well, what are we going to do after this service is over? We're going to get in our car and start driving. See, you and I don't know tomorrow. We don't even know this afternoon. And it is the kindness of God this morning in the hearing of this voice this scripture that God is saying to you, 
Respond and respond to me now. Because once this life is passed, there is no turning back. See, our response to Jesus is so critical. We're not in control. Don't wait to turn to Jesus Christ today. You may be young. Turn to Jesus Christ today. You may be old. Turn to Jesus Christ today. Because if you do not, a reality exists. And it's called hell. And this description calls it a place of anguish and a place of torment. And the most loving thing that God could do for you today is that you would hear this call from his word. Turn now and run to Jesus because once you die, the chasm is fixed and you cannot come back. Which leads us to the fourth and most important point of this passage. The way you and I respond to the word yields eternal life or eternal death. See, notice what happens next in the parable. After being informed that the chasm cannot be crossed, the rich man desires Lazarus uh, to be sent to his household that his five brothers would believe. Notice Abraham's response. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What is, what is Abraham saying? You know what they have? They have the scriptures. Let them read and believe the scriptures. Now, what's underneath even that statement? Abraham is responding because he believes in the sufficiency of scripture to lead us to salvation the sufficiency of the word of God to take our hand and to lead us to Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, well, back then they only had two thirds of the Bible that, that we have in our hands this morning. The New Testament hadn't even been written at this time. And I say to you, you're right. They had Moses. He wrote the Pentateuch, the first five. He wrote some of the Psalms. They have the prophets. They had the Old Testament. Where did the Old Testament lead people? They led them to the promised Redeemer, the Messiah, the Yeshua, the one who was to come. See, Jesus, when he was walking, do you remember this? On the road to Emmaus with his disciples, his disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And they said later their hearts were burning in them. And, and in Luke 24, a few chapters down, the, down this book, he said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he said, all these things, they all, they all pointed to me. So when Abraham says, hey, they've got Moses, they've got the prophets, that is sufficient for their salvation. And notice, notice what Lazarus is doing. Like, no, Father Abraham. What he's saying is, that's not enough. The word of God is not enough. What does he say? How does he say it? Verse 30. Look with me there. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Notice that he said the word of God, that, that's not exciting enough. We need someone to come out of the grave. We, my five brothers, they've heard the word of God. They haven't responded to that. So you need to do something more. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, it doesn't matter that we believe we, we have to see. We have to see something amazing. And Abraham says, you know what? 
If they don't believe the word of God, then they won't believe anything. If you don't believe the word of God this morning, then nothing is going to change your heart. Not even seeing someone walk out of a casket. That's what he's saying. And so our response to the word of God this morning is critical. Your response, teenager, is critical. It's a matter between life and death. Your response, adult who's been around for a while, is critical. It's the difference between life and death. See, there are only two responses that we have to the word of God. We can either repent and believe or we can do what the Pharisees did and start to self-justify. We can sneer at the word of God and walk away in disbelief. So your response, dear friends, to the word this morning, if you don't already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your response this morning can mean the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Your response to what God says. You may say, you you don't know me, pastor. You don't know me, preacher. You're right, I may not know you. You don't know the family from which I come. You don't know how much tithe I give. You don't know, fill in the blank. You're right, I don't. All I know is this reality, that your response to the word of God, to the words of Jesus Christ, is the difference between eternal death and hell and eternity in blissful heaven. And I want you to be there with me in heaven, in belief and faith for all time. This is the most loving text we can hear this morning from God's word. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I believe Jesus is drawing people. He's drawing people through his gospel This morning. And I want to ask you. How do you respond. To Jesus Christ. Do you agree with him. When he says we are. Apart from him. Sinners all. Destined. For the place of hell. If we reject. His loving call. See God so loved the world. You know the precious verse. He so loved the world that he didn't want us to squander our life in chasing things like money and sex and the approval of others and all kinds of things that that are dead. But instead, he wants to give us life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he sent Jesus. How do you respond to Jesus this morning? So I want to bring this to a close now as we just talk about two very simple points of application. I know I'm hitting hard this morning, but this is what the text says. Application number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are we are eternally secure. By believing, repenting of our sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Let me read a few of these precious truths that are listed on your sheet for them. Hear the words of Paul. For the wages of sin 
is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus' own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this most precious promise from John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church. Doesn't matter who your family is. Doesn't matter where you've come from. And it doesn't matter what you've done. This morning, what matters is how you respond to Jesus Christ. It's the difference between heaven and hell. So, I implore you, believe in Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. Oh, may God add to the number of his kingdom this morning by faith and belief. What about for those of us who are in the church, who are actively pursuing our God because he has transformed our hearts and our lives? What do we do with this parable? Well, first of all, let us, let us rejoice that God has been so kind to redeem our souls. Let us rejoice with great joy that he has opened our eyes, that we see Jesus for who he is, that we might be able to enjoy him and to seek and savor him for all time. We rejoice together. And so so at the closing song, church, I pray that we would just sing it with gusto because we're so grateful that God has saved us. May that be the application. But may it also be that we boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. See, in these days, we live in a cancel culture, right? You don't like something, you get online, you start a hashtag, and you cancel it out. We live in cancel culture. And when you speak the name of Jesus Christ, when you don't shave off the edges of the gospel that says to people, dear friend, can I implore with you to turn to Jesus because you will occupy hell if you don't receive his forgiveness for your sins. Do you know what happens to us? We get canceled. But in this hour of great need, in September of 2020, will you be faithful, church, to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ? Will I be faithful to proclaim Jesus Christ to my church, to my neighbors, to the people around me, to the people who will want to cancel me as soon as I say it. Will we be faithful? Oh, that we might be. Oh, that God would so move in the hearts of His people that it doesn't matter what comes, but we will be faithful to tell people to do the most loving thing in the world And that's to tell people that Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he comes with judgment. And their lives will either go to heaven or to hell. Imagine with me, as I invite the worship team to join me up here. Imagine with me that you're traveling on a road. 
and you come to a place in the road where you come around the corner and there's a bridge there and the bridge is out. It's fallen through and you manage to get your car stopped in time. But just barely. And you were really paying attention to the road and you get out of your car and and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so thankful that I was able to stop the car and not go to my peril. And all of a sudden you see and you hear another car coming. What would be the loving thing to do? Just get back in your car and listen to the radio. Or to flag them down and say, don't put on the brakes. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter said of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us proclaim Christ as a dying man to dying men. Church, the reality this morning is God is building His kingdom. He is doing it. If you fail and when you fail, because we all will at times, in proclaiming His kingdom, His kingdom advances nonetheless. He is building His kingdom. And He wants to use you and me. He's appointed it that He uses you and me. Can we together say, Lord, I love you. Lord, now help me to be faithful in this hour to do the most loving thing. And that's to tell people the truth about heaven and hell. Would you stand with me? Lord, these words of yours, they cut razor sharp. Your son Jesus had no problem talking about the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. And in our modern day Western thought, we don't often think about these things. But we cannot escape them this morning. And so, Lord, even as your church is praying right now, For anyone who doesn't know the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would move upon their hearts. That they might know them. And church, I believe that there there may be names that are coming to mind right now. Of of maybe family members or co-workers or or people that you're thinking of who who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to pause here for a second to you to, to pray those names to the Lord. God, we pray for these people. These dear people that you have created to know you and to love you. Lord, we pray that you would rescue them from the futility of following their own hearts and that you would place them in your kingdom by faith and repentance, Lord. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, would you reach to them and open their eyes that they may believe that they too would occupy heaven for all eternity. And finally, Father, would you enable your church 
to be faithful to proclaim the truth. To be willing to do the most loving thing and tell people of this coming reality. Lord, help us. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us. And we're grateful. So help us to do this for the glory of God and for the advance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the church together said, Amen.